0: Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? Okay. Uh, gee, it's, I feel like Mark Twain, who said that if you don't like the weather in New England, wait five minutes. <laughs> it's hard to believe that watching that snow come down. Matter of fact, where I live up in, in South Hadley, I, I can see the, uh, the, well, living in Montana, they're not really mountains, but they're, they're hills, and there's still snow on them. <laughs> So um, we're in sort of a, uh, in a, in a strange climate right now. Um, we are in a uh, second in part of a series on uh, what it means to uh, travel a road that's less traveled, the requirements of what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ. And last week we saw that. One of the first essential ingredients to be a follower is to have a, have a love for Christ, uh, not to lose our first love, and that, that love is going to sustain us as we, as we reach out to others, as we uh, try to care and we try to love for them. Therefore, our love is towards him, and it's vital, and it's developing and growing. Um, it'll also reflect it to other people in the world. And Today we're going to look at um, a uh, begin a series a little uh, section we're going to stay on uh, in regard to uh, denying ourselves. What is it? What in the world does that mean in regard to being a disciple? So let's uh, start with a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, we'll get into this. Father, once again, we uh, we ask that. Um, uh, you would open our hearts and uh, you would be with me and the meditations of my heart and the the words of my lips would be pleasing in your sight. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In the 16th century, uh, the Renaissance astronomer Nicholas Copernicus (laughs) challenged the belief that the world was the center of the universe. Copernicus argued that the sun revolved around Uh, that the sun didn't revolve around the earth, but rather the earth revolved around the sun. It was considered revolutionary. Uh, It turned the scientific world on its head. (laughs) And in much the same way, we all need sort of a Copernican revolution in our own lives. Um, We need a paradigm shift uh, where we come to terms with the fact that the world doesn't revolve around, around us. Uh, and that's a tough pill to swallow. In a sense, we were, when we were born into this world, Right, the world seemed to revolve around us. Whether we were being fed from the front or diaper changed from the back, uh, the whole world seemed to exist for our needs and our desires. And even in the church, Uh, I've heard people say, well, the church isn't meeting my needs. not necessarily this church, but I've heard it uh, in uh, numerous places that I've been. Of course, they never realize that uh, meeting the needs of a Christ follower is often met in terms of a community and also reaching beyond ourselves. I found that often my needs are met more effectively when I'm reaching out to someone else instead of saying in my box, and sort of saying, you know, the the church isn't meeting my needs. You see, sometimes uh, I think it's less about us serving his purposes and more about him serving our purposes. (laughs) But I don't think we really want that. I don't think, even though we, we struggle with that attitude at times, I don't think deep down in our hearts we we really want that for ourselves. Uh, We want to follow his purposes, his goals, for his glory, and for uh, his grace in our life. Uh, But it's not for us. It's for the exaltation of who he is and the lordship over our lives and over all of what we do. I think we really want to do that. But it is grace and patience i found that God helps us move us from using Christ to following him. If you want to follow Jesus Christ on a road that's less traveled, I think the question for us today is what are those requirements? And we're going to spend a lot of time and then in these next weeks to talk about those requirements. And one of them, uh, a, a couple of them actually, is found in Matthew 16. So if you would turn there to Matthew 16 and verse 21 to 24. Matthew 16, 21 to 24. The context here is that Peter just gave his confession that Christ was the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus proceeds to talk about and to foretell his death and his resurrection. says, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and, and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told the disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself or herself and let him take up his cross or her cross and follow me. This morning we're going to look at the specifics of what it means to deny yourself. Now, in this passage, Jesus speaks of denying yourself in a, in a negative sense. And yet, I think there's a link to what the Spirit does in our lives in the positive sense. So we're going to look at both of those today. So um, he, the context here, once again, is that, that Peter is just uh, tried to hinder Jesus from uh, fulfilling his mission. And he says to him, far be it from you, Lord. It's more blunt than that. He says, no, Lord. Uh, Of course, he didn't realize the silliness of that statement, right? No, Lord. Um, You can't say, no, Lord. Uh, You have to say, yes, Lord, because if you say no, he's (laughs) he's not really Lord. And I suppose all of us at some point in our lives, maybe you have and maybe you haven't yet, but you have to deal with his lordship in your life. Now what do I mean by that? What I mean is that who has the final authority over your life? Who has the ability to make those kinds of decisions for you? Is it yourself or is it him? And we're going to kind of camp on this verse 24 in order for us, for a few weeks, in order for us to unpack this uh, condensed um, requirement, the condensed requirements of being a disciple. So he says to him, then Jesus told his disciples, and I think we should define what disciples are, uh, right? Um, What is a disciple? Disciple. The word actually means to become a learner or a pupil. Uh, disciple is a learner, and you could call them an apprentice or a follower. They're kind of all synonymous terms. And the word for disciple is a flexible term um, because sometimes it can fluctuate its meaning in regard to what context it's found in. For example... Um, Disciple can actually be even used and not necessarily referred to someone who's a believer. Uh, John 6.46 says, but there were some who do not, uh, some of you do not believe. And of course, Judas Iscariot is called a disciple, but he was never a believer. And sometimes, like in Acts, the book of Acts, Christians are grouped uh, without distinction as being a a disciple without any kind of distinction of their commitment the epistles really don't even use the term at all but they use it they use the terms and the commands of to imitate to follow to follow mature believers as they follow Christ but in the gospels the synoptic gospels and what i mean by that the word synoptic means viewed as the same this is matthew mark and luke and not John, because John writes uh, a different kind of gospel. But John's gospel is from God downward, and the synoptic gospels are from uh, the ground upward. Uh, if, you, if you can uh, picture that. Uh, uh, John makes no um, distinction there. He, he really speaks of the fact that, that um, right in the, chapter 1, that Jesus is God. So he's talking from here and he brings it down to earth. And the synoptic gospels, to be reviewed as the same, speak it from the earth upward. And so we have to make a distinction here, and it's an important one, between what salvation is in the synoptic gospels or in any other place, uh, and what a disciple is. See, salvation is a free gift, and you'll see this in this chart here that might help you. Disciples, I mean, uh, salvation is a free gift. Discipleship is very costly. Um, salvation is received through faith. Discipleship is received through a commitment and obedience. Salvation gives instant justification. We have an instant uh, righteous standing before God. Discipleship is a lifelong Sanctification. It's being right being made righteous every day. And in salvation, we have Jesus who paid all of it. And in discipleship, we have the fact that the disciple has to pay a price in order to follow him. In discipleship, we come to him as Jesus as a savior. And in, in I mean salvation, we come to him as Jesus as a savior. And in discipleship, we come to him as Jesus as as Lord. So we, in salvation, we believe in the gospel. In discipleship, we obey his commands. That's really an important distinction to make. If you mix those kinds of things, what happens is you water down one thing or the other. It doesn't mean that they're not related. They certainly are. If you're saved, you want to follow. And if you follow, you certainly are saved. So, while all disciples are Christians, not all Christians are disciples. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. Now, we're going to move on to what he says about being a disciple and what, is the, what does that mean? He says, If anyone come after me, it's an important phrase before we get to let him deny himself. Notice the if. It's, it's an option. It's not automatic. Because you're a believer, it doesn't necessarily automatically make you a disciple. Being fully devoted as a disciple, as a follower, means that you have to make a decision about it. And This is what he is implying by it. You, if anyone comes after me, and some of you might not come after me, but if you want to, if you have a desire to, and it's the second part of this, that uh, you have to have a desire to follow me. And I think sometimes that's overlooked. Sometimes we just don't want to follow him. It's not the fact that, that we don't understand what he wants, it's just that we don't want to do it. And so if you want to have that desire, if you want to travel a road that's less traveled, you have to have some kind of motivation, some kind of uh, uh, ability to go after him and to seek him out. No one has forced Jesus to take up his cross, right? He did it voluntarily. Nobody took Jesus' life from him. We might look at that that, that way. But he laid down his life Uh, by his own will. Today, we are to voluntarily desire and to submit ourselves to who Jesus Christ is and to pay the price of what it means to follow him. Now, we're going to spend a little bit more time on what this phrase means that follows this. Right? If anyone wishes to come after me, let him or her to deny himself. Let him deny himself. It sounds like an initial pass would be like, well, we need to be monks. Uh, we need to go into a monastic lifestyle, retire to the desert, eat dust for the rest of our lives, and, and and live our lives in denial of, of our and denying ourselves of things. And boy, is this command misunderstood. Misunderstood. Um, there have been monks that have done these kinds of things to deny themselves. My wife told me this morning, even in Lenten season, somebody beat themselves so bad they had to be hospitalized. Uh, one monk lived 40 years on the top of a pole origin cut off his uh he became a eunuch thinking that that would solve the sexual problem unaware that the part, the 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 most uh, potent sexual organ in the body is your brain but so this is where we go astray but there's a difference between self-denial and denying yourself. See, self-denial is something like we take away something from us. You know, a pleasure, uh, an activity, a possession that we might want to have. And of course, this is what we do at Lent. You know, I'm going to give up this for Lent season. We're going to give up smoking for Lent. Whatever it might be. And in a way, we're sort of like monks. We're giving things up. And my Muslim friends (laughs) tell me that during the fast of Ramadan, um, more food is consumed than any other time of the year. <laughs> if You know, the fast, you, you can't eat before sunup, I mean, after sunup. So what they do is they have a big feast before the sun comes up. Then at sundown, they have a huge feast at the end of the day. And it's sort of, what's the purpose of this again? You know? And this is where we get into, into problems with this. Um, you know, you can deny yourself of all kinds of things, but be just as worldly, just as self-directed as anyone else. Why? Because in a way, it becomes a veiled pride. Look look at what I've done. I'm denying myself. And what happens is we we lift ourselves up. Even if we don't do it in front of people, we can sort of boost our own egos by saying, well, hey, I'm not participating in that. And sort of, it lifts ourselves up. It's a way of living by a law. And if you live by a law, by what you don't do and do do, you'll never free yourself. It will always be a requirement for you. You'll never know if you are really accepted or whether you've really done enough. And it is the chipmunk on the wheel; you just keep going around and around again. But denial of yourself is different. See, it's one thing; it isn't uh, taking one thing away, or one pleasure, or a number of I- items. Denying your denying of yourself is denying all of you. It's. Denying me of having the final authority over my life This is radically different than denying self-denial. This doesn't mean that we neglect ourselves. It doesn't mean that we um, uh, don't take care of ourselves or don't care, take care of our souls. We, we need to do that. God's grace, yes, is provided in weakness, but it doesn't mean that we don't care about uh, what, our, what we're about. Um, God can be a part, his grace can actually help us in the midst of those difficulties. But it's choosing God's will over ours. Look again at what Peter says. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Important phrase. As a matter of fact, this phrase is going to link to Galatians in a second, and we're going to get there. But Peter, Peter's perspective and mindset was on himself on what he wanted to do, what he didn't want the Lord to do. And his mind was not set on the things of God. And that's really what denying yourself is all about. It isn't taking something away, stop doing this, stop doing that. But who has the locus of authority? Who has the center upon which you make a decision? Is it you? Or is it Lord. Now Peter said, no Lord. Now we have that option too. We can say, no Lord. I don't want that to happen. And if we do that, what happens is you begin to take responsibility for the outcome of your own journey. God allows you to decide. He won't force anything upon you. But you take that on. Also, we can, if we say no, we can sometimes move into a destructive lifestyle. Our will can lead us into places of destruction, of pride, of, of competition if we're not careful when we take it on, when we say no to Jesus, and we say yes to our will we'll make, I'll make that decision. The other thing it can do is suddenly the locus of authority, right, the location of that authority moves from Jesus to to me. And Jesus then becomes kind of a life coach to us. You know, it's like going to a counselor. We, We get his advice. We get his perspective. We understand what he's saying to us. And we say, hmm, maybe I'll take it. Maybe I won't. I appreciate your input, Lord, on that, but I'll determine whether I follow it or not. And that's the difference between Jesus as the Lord, who has the uh, final authority of all that we do, and Jesus being a life coach or just a counselor to us, where we have the option to accept or not accept it. Now, let's say you say yes. You say, I will deny myself. Now, does that mean everything's going to be happy and everything's going to be lovely in your life? Actually, no. It can sometimes get worse. Discipleship has a great cost to it. And he has promised the ability as we follow him to have a shared experience and a shared experience of what life with him is like. We have the capacity to expand his kingdom on this earth, and we we can experience a greater understanding of his grace in our life as we see him as Lord over everything that we are and everything that we have. See, as we face, and we all face, competing demands, right, Um, we need to see how this can practically uh, take place, of renouncing ourselves. And unfortunately here, Jesus doesn't tell us that. He just tells us, if you wish to come after me, if you wish to follow me as a disciple, let him or her deny himself. But could it be that the positive side of this, if that's the negative side, to deny ourselves, what would be the positive side of it? Could it be that it's walking in the Spirit? And The reason I say that, and you'll see that in a second, um, as we tie this passage to Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, we have a, a, an unfolding of what it means to walk by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you do. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. It's amazing passage. But what does this walking by the Spirit mean? Galatians 5 parallels very closely, and follow me with this if you can, uh, it parallels very closely to Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, we have a little bit more definition of what it means to walk by the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. You hear Jesus' words there? Peter, you have set your minds on the things of, how did he put it? the things of man, and not the things of God. So Romans 8.3 says, For those who, have, who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And that's the link, I think, between these two passages. So the first aspect of walking by the Spirit is a mindset. It's an orientation of your mind. Uh, and the orientation of your mind is going to determine whether you are allowing God to have the final authority in your life or you're going to allow yourself to have the final authority in your life. Look at Galatians uh, 5.16 again and what it doesn't say. And this is important. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, what it doesn't say is if you walk by the Spirit, you will not have the desires of the flesh. And sometimes people interpret it that way. That's not what it says. Um, It says that you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit doesn't uh, prevent immunity to your life, but from the desires of the flesh. We still have them. They are still there. And what I mean by flesh, yeah, it relates to your physical body, the members of your body which you talked about last week. But it's also uh, fed by what I call a principle of sin, a propensity toward sin that we carry with us. It's like that application that ran on the old operating system that we sometimes click into. It's, it's still there. It's a bend toward sin flesh and the flesh animates, carries out that desire to sin through our members. It's like, a, like sort of like termites in a house. Uh, the outside might look good, but inside uh, it's eating away at, at a person. So the flesh, and please note, the flesh cannot help the flesh. Um, it's a magnet for sin. Now, you might feel bad about that, but that's the way it, it is. Um, we try sometimes to use our uh, our flesh to stop our flesh, and it, it won't work because one is going to give in to the other. The other thing it doesn't say, and I've heard this too, is the reverse. It doesn't say, stop carrying out the devi- desires of the flesh so you can start walking by the Spirit. Uh-uh. Doesn't say that. God never asks us to fix the flesh. In fact, He says that our flesh is so far gone, He, doesn't, he isn't even going to fix it Himself. God is not saying, Make yourself better so that the Spirit can do its work. He's saying, Let the Spirit do its work so that you can be better or a fully devoted follower of Christ by walking in the power of the Spirit. It's not positive thinking. It's not resolutions. It's not promises to God. It's not trying harder. And we can't get the flesh to cooperate with us. It's like trying to use something that's wrong to correct something in your life to make it right and it just won't work because all of it is is shot through with the principle, with the propensity of sin. So if a fully devoted follower is someone in the face of competing demands of his or her life, allows Christ to be the focus of his or her life, then that focus means that we are denying ourselves the final authority. That's the negative side of it. And we're allowing the Spirit of God to be that by which we can move forward and we can be fully devoted followers. Now, it's a, it's a figure of speech to walk in the Spirit. What in the world is that? And how do we do it? And so let's look at the figure of speech a little bit more closely. When you walk, you have a direction. When you walk, you are making a choice. your your life is intentional. you are depending when you're walking. you're depending on one foot in front of the other. It is a and it's a process you are, you are moving forward. to walk in the spirit in Romans eight: five means to set your mind on the spirit and to gain. God's perspective on the issue and it's it's an orientation of your life to what God and his lordship is about. So when we walk by the spirit and we have direction, we're seeing God's lordship over a particular issue that we're dealing with. We are choosing to move forward by faith in that direction. Now someone might say, well I've tried that, it doesn't work problem is I've noticed that sometimes we uh, it doesn't work because we are weak <laughs> and we can't go forward and we stumble so we're missing an important ingredient which is the dependence that we have set our mind uh, on Christ and his things and he has the lordship over this issue and we step forward in faith but we also realize that we don't have the strength in our in, of ourselves to move that way, so we have to be dependent upon the Spirit of God to energize it, to accomplish it, and His promise is that He will do that for us. That's often the missing ingredient when we try to walk by the Spirit. We think that, oh, okay, then I'm going to just take this and, and go forward, and we fall, and we think, well, this, this doesn't work, when in reality, we're not really being dependent 517, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Uh, for these are opposed to each other and keep you from doing the things that you want to do. I think what he's saying here is you can't mix the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. They can't be integrated uh, this is not a Rodney King verse. Can't we all just get along? It, 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 it's set up so that it doesn't get along. They're diametrically opposed to each other. And this is what often is fighting within us. And what we pay attention to often the most is what's going to guide us and move us off or towards towards God. They can't be integrated. And what happens is um, when you try to integrate something we, we try to be peacemakers between our struggles and what god wants and, and god doesn't want it to be peacemakers there there is no peace between these two things so what happens sometimes is we get polarized when we keep struggling and we keep trying to manage these two things and get them to agree in some way and so what happens is we we're spiritual on sunday we're spiritual when we read the scriptures we're spiritual when we pray but the rest of the week, you know, we, the flesh takes over because, you know, that's what I have to do. And we don't realize that it's to be integrated in regard to the spirit because everything is spiritual. But we, what happens is we, we, we get frustrated with this. We have to realize that the spirit is greater than the flesh itself. The spirit is, is something that, that is, permeates everything that we do. And we need to bring him into everything that we do and everything that we are. And then in verse 18, it says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So the law does nothing but stir up uh, things that violate the heart of God. <laughs> When's the last time a cop stopped you, a police officer stopped you and said, hey, listen, I just stopped you to thank you for going 65 miles an hour? Uh-uh. He's going to stop you because you're going 85 miles an hour, um, and that's what the law does. It it only tells you where you have failed. Um, it's like trying to, let's say this. Um, I don't have a mirror, but let's say this. Uh, this is a mirror, and I look at the law from my, and I see myself in the law, and I go like, Oh, gee. Uh, some dirt on my face I, I didn't even see it there, you know, and so you know what we do? We try to take the mirror, the law and we try to scrape uh, scrape out the dirt on our our face, so we're trying to use the law to to fix us, and it's never meant to fix us. what it's meant to do is to show us that I got dirt in my face, and to walk by the spirit to be led by the spirit that is the mechanism by which change happens, not by using. The law. Look at this verse again. because It's absolutely amazing. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. That's incredible. Now, wh- how can he say that? Because the Spirit... It's written the law of God on our hearts. He is fulfilling the law of God as we walk with him. That is mind-blowing to me. We don't have to live by, all, by denying ourselves of things, of living on the top of a pole for 40 years to get away from the world, other silly things, and we might laugh at that, but we have things like that in our own lives by which we think that this is really what it means to be a disciple. When in reality, denying ourselves on the positive side of that means to walk in the light and be led by the Spirit of God. Because when we do that, He fulfills the law in our hearts. So what am I saying this morning? I'm saying that to become a fully devoted follower... We must renounce ourselves as the authority and focus of our lives. And how do we do that? First, by realizing that he is to have the authority and lordship and focus of all that we do and all that we are and all that we say. And the directions that we go in. And two, we're to acknowledge that lordship. And we're to walk. By the Spirit, which means, which involves direction, which involves a choice, which involves dependence, and a process. And that's not easy. That's not easy to do. As a matter of fact, it it's a lifelong pursuit. But that's what it's about in regard to being a fully devoted. Disciple and following Jesus Christ. Maybe this will help a little bit. During the 19th century, a group of missionaries uh, in an area now called uh, Suriname in South America had a uh, deep burden for the people on an island just off the coast. But all the islanders were slaves on a plantation there. And the plantation owner heard about what the gospel was doing and how it was liberating and freeing people in their spirits to God. And he was afraid what it might do to the people and to the slaves he has on his plantation. So he forbid any missionaries from coming onto the island. He said that only slaves could talk to other slaves. So what the missionaries did, many of them, they sold themselves into slavery. They lived in bondage and suffering in order to bring the news to those who needed it. They renounced themselves as the authority and focus of their lives. Now what am I saying this morning? Am I saying that we should be slaves and sell ourselves into slaves? No. The point of this story is that they chose not to maintain their freedom to preserve their lifestyle, but allow Christ to have the final authority and focus of their lives. So in reality, whatever you're doing, whether you are a missionary or whether you're a plumber or whether you're uh, a, uh, an executive or whatever that you're doing, it's not changing that. It's not denying yourself a thing. But it's moving the locus of authority from yourself to the person of Jesus Christ. It's from moving from you to him. It's serving his purposes through you, or are you serving your purposes by using him? So Christ is offering another kind of slavery in a way, a slavery of denial of self. When things compete for our demands, for our attention, we deny ourselves, we renounce ourselves as the authority and focus of our lives and decisions, and we walk by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, these are difficult words. They're, 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 uh, they seem almost impossible at times for us to grasp hold of. But Lord, help us to start. Help us to begin. Help us to renew our our lives and under your lordship over all that we do and all that we say and all that we are. And Lord, help us to deny ourselves not in a legalistic sense but, but in a sense, once again, of showing our concern for the things of God and not the things of man. And Lord, we also ask that you would teach us. You would teach us how to walk by the Spirit, and how that walking means that we have intention about direction, and about the choices that we make, and dependence and process. And when we do that, Lord, and we when we do that enough that so that that we are being led by the Spirit, you fulfill the law through us, and that we are not under the law because. We are led by the Spirit of God. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, no matter where we are as individuals. So Lord, I ask today that as we continue in worship, as we share the Lord's table together, we look closely at what needs to be brought onto the altar of our lives so that you become the decision maker. You become the the arbiter of our decisions in life. We ask it in your name. Amen. Okay. uh, We're going to come to the Lord's table. And um, I want to read the passage around the Lord's table. And we're going to take communion together today. So those of you at home, I would encourage you to... uh, Get uh, some bread and some, uh, some drink uh, so that we can share the table of the Lord together. Those of you who are here, there's some uh, uh, communion cups back there with some bread. Apostle Paul, speaking of the Lord's table, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you. But the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And in the same way, the cup also, after the supper, saying, "This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me." So let's take the uh, the bread together. spend some time in our own hearts with God to examine our lives, to examine perhaps where we've fallen short, and use this time to confess, to give thanks, and to meditate upon what it means for his lordship over our lives. Let's do that together. share this together. And in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, uh, we see this new covenant, uh, the Spirit written, the law written on our hearts, and how the Spirit is here to fulfill that law as we walk with him. Let's thank the Lord for his spilled blood that established and, and, and brought that new covenant into our lives. Share this together. Let's continue in worship together as we uh, praise God and thank Him for all that He's done for us. Thanks.
1: The same. Take the world, but give me Jesus, sweetest comfort of my soul. With my Savior watching over me, I can sing. Though.
2: song uh give me faith <sighs> like jim was saying we we don't just faith isn't just us doing a bunch of stuff isn't just getting rid of a bunch of things in our lives it is actually god working in us and we ask him to give us faith so that we can <laughs> so that he can take the world from us not not it's not something that we're doing it's something that he's doing to us and so we're going to sing this song and we're going to ask him to actually um says here to soften our hearts to to open us up to the change that he wants us uh to go through and and he knows what is good for us he he loves us and he sees uh all of that so um so yeah as as we sing just think about um god giving you faith to to do all of those things to to give up that world (laughs) that we so want we want all of those things we want to keep all that we love uh that's not him, but yet he asks us to to give that up.
1: you
0: Support the weak. Uh, Pray for those in need. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Spirit. Uh, Share the gospel. May the love and fellowship of our Lord be with you all. Amen.